0: There is a method to the madness. My name is Rob Maxwell, and I'm an exercise physiologist and personal trainer. I'm the owner of Maxwell's Fitness Programs, and I've been in business since 1994. Today's podcast is sponsored by Jonathan and Lynn Gilden of the Gilden Group at Realty Pros. They currently have over 275 star reviews on Zillow. That is pretty darn good. They're true professionals. They both have degrees in business and real estate. And I think that's awesome because I think it's very important to be a true professional. All right. That's really what the method to the madness is all about. When I first started out as a personal trainer, I was coming from a background in psychology, working in counseling. I had my psych degree. And um I still love that, by the way. I think psychology is so interesting and such a big part of what I do. But when I wanted to be a personal trainer, I didn't really want to leave any stone uncovered. I was, I don't know, it was uh, too important to me to like make mistakes, you know, when it came to other people, I didn't want to screw up, so to say. And uh, I knew there just had to be more science behind it than... People just going to the gym and spotting people and those kind of things. And of course, there is. So I went out and uh, looked into graduate programs in different forms of fitness. I didn't really know what that entailed. And then I learned that it was really exercise physiology and exercise science. Now, there's a few more derivatives of those. But for the most part, it's still exercise physiology and sometimes it's called sports science or exercise science, but I wanted a graduate degree because I just didn't think it was the best idea for me economically to go back and get a second bachelor's degree. You know, I was thinking of upward movement and education wasn't so readily readily available back then, meaning there wasn't all these online programs and everything in the late 80s and early 90s when I was in college. So uh, I found a master's degree in exercise physiology at UCF, and it was actually ex-phys and wellness, which is pretty cool. So there was some of that thrown in there as well. And um, I learned so much science. I mean, science is really what this is about. I mean, it's about science and philosophy, you know, to an extent, art I guess, um, you know, so I was going to say psychology, but that's a science as well. And, uh, you know, there is so much to all this. And I think it's important to talk about the science. Of course, the art is important. I mean, it, it's very important to have experience and how to help people through the issues of the science, of course. But I think we have to have the science. All right. So. I'm 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 getting there. Don't worry, people. I'm trying to explain a little bit, giving everybody maybe an introduction as to uh, why the method to the madness is important to me. The podcast that is maybe people who are just listening for the first time understand that I really try to tackle some of the science and then explain it to you because there's just so much crap out there. There's just so much disinformation. When it comes to fitness and it's not new, we can't really blame this on social media. I mean, this has been going on since I was a young kid. I mean, there was all the crazy diets, you know, the Scarsdale diets, the shaker machines that if you just got in, they would shake the fat off of you. I mean, this is nothing new. There's been crazy information thrown out there to people for people to make a buck Forever, you know, probably since the beginning of man, right? Or beginning of currency as far as trading for services, there's been stuff like that. And I'm not opposed at all to people making their money off of what they do. Obviously, that's what I do. I mean, that's just called a win-win. You know, when people do it from a, uh, I don't even want to say ethical standpoint, because sometimes I just think people are flat out ignorant and just don't know better. But it could be that or I guess maybe just trying to falsely make a buck. But, you know, no, that's not cool. But when people are trading services like we're really good at what we do and you really need a trainer, that's great. You know, so I'm not trying to diss that. I'm just trying to say that it is important to have education, science, and education can come in many ways. I'm not being discriminatory towards people who don't have college degrees. I think we can gain education in many, many, many ways. So I just think it's ultimately very important to be a professional and Being a professional is educating yourself in whatever you decide to go into. And that, my friends, is what The Method to the Madness is all about. It's what I called my first book because I've said it for so long. It just became one of my catchphrases when people would say to me, well, why are we doing this? Or more importantly, when people weren't saying anything and I would want to explain why it's important to do a certain thing, like why it's important to not work the same muscle group day in and day out, which to some people is common sense, but to others it's not. And that's because we actually grow through anabolism and we break everything down through catabolism. So catabolism is the working out. And if we don't let it rest, which is anabolism, that is growth, the muscle is not going to grow so if I can give a little bit of that science to somebody who's trying to work the same muscle groups out every day like going to the gym and bench pressing every day they might go oh then I'd say well there's a method to the madness so you know that is what this podcast is about and I know that's a you know a little bit longer introduction than usual but again there are people that may be listening for the first time I hope so today's question is comes from John and it's an interesting question and it's why um, you know it, it's why it's important to understand semantics and understand you know words and understand what things are. so he asked me he said, hey is there any way to train the metabolism and I was caught a little off guard by the question meaning that I was you know I wanted to be absolutely clear as to what he was talking about. So this was via text messaging. And I said, well, what do you mean by train the metabolism? And um, I think that's, you know, how it went. But in any event, I I told him, no, you really can't train the metabolism. And then he said, oh, I'm going to be hungry all the time, you know, just kind of joking around. And then I got to what he was asking and I said, oh, okay. So no, you can't train the metabolism per se, at least in regards to what he's thinking, but we can train ourselves to not be hungry. So great question, John. Let's dig into that a little bit. First off, the metabolism, really what we're talking about is RMR or BMR. They mean the same thing, either Resting metabolic rate, some people call it, or basal metabolic rate. And basal means rest, so it's the same thing. That is what we are talking about. When we say metabolism, we're really talking about our resting metabolic rate. Because when we're moving around, we are actually burning calories via activity. And that's not your metabolism, that's activity. When we're not moving around, we're burning calories through our resting metabolic rate. That is our metabolism. So, the first question is, can we train it? Well, not directly, but we can increase it by adding muscle mass. Now, write this down, listen to me, pay attention, call fake news if you ever hear anything otherwise. The only way we can raise a resting metabolic rate is through adding muscle lean tissue is metabolic nothing else stay with us we'll be right back hey quick question for you are you someone who wants to be fit healthy and happy You absolutely cannot raise your metabolism by what you eat or what you drink or what pills you take. You cannot change your metabolism unless you add muscle. Now, you might say, well, people are taking these certain drugs that are speeding things up. Okay, like caffeine pills and things like that. Yes, there's been fat burners, so to say, since there's been medication. I can remember being a kid and people were taking Dexatrim, you know, that's sad, isn't it? You know, I I just had a vision of a couple people I knew, I think this was either junior high school, so maybe like eighth or ninth grade, and they were boys, which is, you know, more unusual um, at that age to worry about weight, but they were taking Dexatrim. So that's caffeine and stuff. That's not speeding up your metabolism. That's just speeding everything up. So, that's obviously, or hopefully, obviously to you, not healthy. The only way we can train our metabolism, so to say, is to increase our metabolism, and that's by adding lean tissue. So, we can add somewhere around 15 to 30 calories per day onto our normal resting metabolic rate by adding one lean pound of muscle. That's pretty huge. Now when I say, that's a that's a variance obviously because everybody's a little bit different in that regard but essentially that's what a pound of muscle will burn. And you think 15 calories, yeah, do that over time. That's huge. That's a lot. So there's no you know there is no surprise when you see a very muscular person with lean body fat levels being able to eat more because they're simply being able to burn more. Now, that doesn't mean just because you're bigger, you're burning more. Because if it's body fat, that's dead tissue. That's not eating anything. It's muscle. So people who have a large amount of muscle can eat more. Plain and simple. Isn't that pretty cool? Add muscle. That's why it is so dangerous to cut your calories too much and especially cut those carbohydrates too much because then you will be cutting into the calories, into the muscle, That can actually grow and we actually call that gluconeogenesis and that is the body eating itself. So now you're losing weight, but you're losing muscle. And then what happens? You're like everybody else. You go back to normal eating. That's human nature. We know that that is going to happen. You are going to go back to eating pretty close to how you used to eat. Now, if you make small changes, great, but most likely you're going to Go back to how you ate. That is if you, I should preface that with if you're quote dieting, you know, unhealthy dieting and not changing your lifestyle. So you're going to go back to it. Now your metabolism is slower. So now you gain more weight. See that vicious cycle. So really it is more important to cut calories slightly. Make sure you're working out with weight. So you're adding muscle and focus a lot more on how you look and feel and measurements. Don't always focus on the weight because it could be muscle. All right. So that's the first part, Mr. John. Second part is about actually training hunger. Well, you can and you can't, but that's a psychological thing. Okay. So first off, we need to understand that hunger is actually physiological and appetite is psychological. Now, most people in the United States thank God and and feel bad for, you know, everybody that's not in the United States and in the more richer countries who are starving to death. So when I say thank God, I don't mean to, you know, sound crass in that um, instance, because it's terrible, obviously, that we're having starvation in other parts of the world. And um, I think we should all try to help out with that. But that's Not the purpose of today, but there is physiological hunger in third world nations and other part of the world. So that is physiological hunger. That means people literally are not eating for days and what they eat, it might be marginal for days. That is true hunger. Now, what we experience when we haven't eaten in 10 hours or 11 hours is a little bit of fasting, accidental or purposeful. I hate to break it to everybody. That's not hunger. We're really not hungry we have enough glycogen we have enough body fat we have these um, internal nutrients that can be turned into food it is not true hunger might feel like it but really what that is is appetite and by the way I'm not saying we should starve ourselves that's poor use of the word I'm not saying that we should you know go 10 12 hours to try to prove a point no that's not the point at all I'm just saying that that is not true hunger. All right. That is appetite. So normally I would venture to guess that 95% of the time when you think you're hungry, this is to John, this is to anybody. It is really your appetite. You want to eat. You're not truly hungry. You want to eat. Well, why do you want to eat? Might be the time of day. Have you ever like looked at your watch and saw what time it was, and all of a sudden you think you feel your stomach growling? That's appetite. And if you don't think psychological stuff is important, you need to go back to paying attention. I mean, do you know the famous story of Pavlov's dog? That was all about appetite and hunger, right? That's what the study was about. It was teaching classical conditioning. So when they rang a bell, they fed the dog. Eventually... Um, Pavlov's dog, eventually, they would ring the bell. It would salivate and just by hearing the bell. They trained it to salivate. Do you think that that salivation was like, oh, I'm just going to salivate? No, it was classical conditioning. It was conditioned. A physiological response was conditioned by psychological training. That was the whole point of classical conditioning, which uh, pretty cool. My daughter is actually studying in general psychology at college right now. And we were talking about the difference the other day when I helped their study with classical conditioning and operant conditioning. And operant conditioning means you're rewarded or punished for your behavior to try to bring about change. So absolutely psychological components can change us physiologically. In other words, give us physiological symptoms of thinking we're hungry. Of course, that's the whole point. So it could be time of day. It could be You just finished a really hard workout and your blood sugar is a little bit lower. So now your blood sugar is sending signals to your body telling you, oh, we need more blood sugar, which may be true, by the way, and I'll get into that in a second. But then all of a sudden, your mind starts running with it and you think you're hungrier than you are. I hear so many people say that after workouts. Oh, I'm famished. I'm famished. I don't like feeling this hungry after a workout. I'm like, well... I mean, in a way, isn't that kind of the point? But then, you know, secondly, that you're probably not hungry, but you may be experiencing some low blood sugar, which is giving you some physiological symptoms of feeling hungry, you know, such as maybe a little bit of lightheadedness and, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of hunger pangs and things like that. But that is really a psychological thing. It could be social event. You know, you're used to eating all this crap food at a Super Bowl party. And you sit down, everybody's eating, but you're quote dieting, and all of a sudden you look around, and you're like, man, I am hungry. Well, no, you're not. You your appetite is is raised because you're used to eating at this time and at these events. And now your mind starts playing tricks on itself. So now you think you're hungry, but you're really not. All right. That is appetite. Derived. All right. Now, before I tell you how to quote train that, let's just I want to mention this about blood sugar. So I'm not discounting the effects of hypo or hyperglycemia. That's different. If you're pre-diabetic, that means your, your glucose levels are somewhere over 100 and less than 126. So that's pre-diabetic. That means you have hyperglycemia and that could turn to type 2 diabetes, which I don't want and you don't want. That could happen. Now, if that's the case, you're going to have more blood sugar fluctuations because you're starting to have some impact with your insulin response, and that's where the diabetes is coming from. Or if you are diabetic, you're going to experience fluctuations as well. Now, I don't want that. You don't want that. You don't want your blood sugar to go from 110 to 70. All right. You're going to drop at that point, meaning you're going to probably pass out. That's very low blood sugar response. You don't want that. So unfortunately, when we start to become pre-diabetic or hyperglycemic, what tends to happen is we do have more glucose fluctuations. So in the case of, say, diabetes, it's really the scary part is when that glucose drops. So we don't want that. I don't want your blood sugar to just drop. So you don't ignore that. You maintain your blood sugar. That's different than hunger, though. That's maintaining your blood sugar. And typically, people who are pre-diabetic, Or diabetic actually have pretty good eating plans given to them by their doctors. I've always said that that's like the one area where it seems like many physicians really seem to understand diet well are the um, physicians working in that part of medical science. So having said that, how do we train ourselves to not feel hungry if we're not diabetic or pre-diabetic and we're not overly concerned with blood sugar? The answer is it's psychological training. You just say no. Just say no. I'm not hungry. The first combative response is you have to understand what it is. Just understand that you're not hungry. Simply tell yourself. It's like, well, I I know I'm not truly hungry for one or two days and it certainly hasn't been that. So this is a lie. I'm not really hungry. Second is you just have to flex those mental and emotional muscles of discipline and say no just after you've already acknowledged what it is then you have to say no you just simply have to say i'm not eating right now i got myself out of shape by eating way too much crap at all these stupid super bowl and social parties and i got myself in this situation now i need to reduce calories move more And take some of this fat off my body and that's going to take work. It's not going to happen just because you wish it to happen. And by the way, I'm not yelling at John right now. I don't particularly think he's overweight. This isn't at him. This is at anybody that is basically wanting to go to heaven, hence lose weight, but not wanting to die, hence eat less. You just can't do it. And you're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable when you try to lose weight. It's just part of the game. And you can decide either want that or I don't. Like I let myself get in this situation because I hate to break it to you, ladies and gentlemen. You did. Nobody did it to you. And now you want to get out of it. Well, the only way out of it, the only healthy way out of it is to cut back on how much you eat and move more. And yes, that's not going to be as comfortable as it was when you're going to Super Bowl parties and you're eating chicken wings and you're eating Doritos and you're drinking beer. Of course, it's not going to, quote, feel as good at that time. But neither is obesity that becomes diabetes that now puts your life at risk. That doesn't feel overly comfortable either. So you can choose to fight through it understanding really what it is, and of course, not being on too low of a calorie diet. That's just silly. Then we're cutting muscle mass, so we do have to have some expert advice on that. But understanding what it is and choosing that right now, I'm going to take a temporary feelings of not being over, overly comfortable so I can feel better about my life in general and more importantly, be better in my life in general. All right. So that was a great question. keep them coming. everybody, please make sure you hit the subscribe button when you listen. I know I send these out to a lot of people and I make it easy for them um, but you know what you could help me out by simply hitting subscribe and once you do, you're just gonna be get an update that there's a new podcast that dropped. Also please rate the show. it's important to get my ratings up there so then I can get some benefit hopefully from Spotify and Apple pod and all that kind of stuff. And speaking of great, I want to thank our second sponsor chiropractic physician, Dr. Doris Antos. She is an absolute pro, a great chiropractor in the industry. She was trained at Palmer, which is one of the best chiropractic schools in the whole country. And as I already said, that is so important. She does all types of modalities So manipulations, of course, but also other modalities, ultrasounds and everything that we need to do to keep our body healthy. And she's a believer in wellness and I appreciate her support. All of her information will be in the show notes. Until next time, be max fit and be max well.